to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Newcastle-upon-Tyne Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust and Hayward, and the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 22. So it's going to be quite a short episode this week, but let's just start by saying that those who have studied the postal rule in contract law will probably have something to say about this case. However, unlike someone who is trying to buy a farm or whatever other examples come up in contract law, this is an employment situation, and the few days difference has a massive impact on the respondent in this case, Haywood. If an employee is dismissed by their employer, then, as you would expect, they have to be given notice that their employment is being terminated. That notice can take many forms, but in this case it was sent in the post, and because it wasn't clear from the contract, The question was when the 12-week notice period actually began. Things were complicated by the fact that the NHS Trust knew that Haywood was on holiday, and so even though the letter was sent by recorded delivery on the 20th of April 2011, it was only picked up by her father-in-law on the 26th of April, and was only read by Haywood when she got back from her holiday a day later on the 27th. I mentioned at the start that this difference of a week was of great importance to Hayward, and this was because if the notice only began on the 27th, then it would actually come to an end exactly on her 50th birthday, and so she would be entitled to her full pension and wouldn't be penalised for accessing it early. Essentially then, we can break it down so that there are three different options for the court to choose from when deciding when the notice period begins. Firstly, when the letter would have been delivered in the ordinary course of the post, i.e. within a couple of days from being sent on the 20th. When the letter was actually delivered and picked up from the sorting office by Haywood's father-in-law, i.e. on the 26th. And thirdly, when the letter actually came to the attention of Haywood on the 27th, once she was back from holiday. The Supreme Court began by noting that because there was no express term governing this subject in the contract between the parties, it would be necessary to imply a term as appropriate. Both sides had very different ideas about what the implied term should actually say. On the one hand, the NHS Trust looked to landlord and tenant case law that states notice is given when the letter is delivered to the address. Hayward's lawyer argued that recent cases in the Employment Appeals Tribunal demonstrated that notice only occurred when it had been received by the employee and they had had a chance to read it, in other words, on the 27th. Lord Briggs and Lord Lloyd-Jones held that the employment contract was part of a wider category of so-called relationship contracts. For these types of contract, there is a long line of cases that state notice takes effect once it is delivered to the address of the recipient even if they are not there at the time. The advantages of this approach is that it creates a greater overall degree of certainty, and while this has its own issues, it is the best way of apportioning the risk when issuing notice by post. This would have meant a win for the NHS Trust, but the other three justices did not agree and formed a majority that supported Hayward. Lady Hale gave the lead judgment and noted that the authority cited by the minority is not as consistent, clear or certain as has been suggested. That rule still actually requires someone to receive the notice, and 
As Lady Black noted in a concurring judgment, this person would generally be an agent of the recipient who would be authorised to take communications on their behalf. Even then the rule is not a hard and fast one and can be rebutted. Meanwhile the alternative put forward by Hayward's lawyers has the advantage that it actually comes from employment law and was developed by the Employment Appeals Tribunal who are experts and most familiar with this area. Furthermore, on a practical level, this makes a lot of sense within the context of employment law, as both the employer and the employee should be made aware of the notice. The Supreme Court didn't quite say this, but what is the point of calling it notice if one of the people hasn't actually been notified? In the end then, it was a slim majority judgement, but one in which Hayward came out on top, and so she will be entitled to her full pension without any reductions. Overall, I think that analysing this case requires us to look at the level of certainty involved and on both sides there are strong arguments. The traditional common law rule adopted by the minority is more closely connected to the traditional postal rule in that it offers almost complete certainty to the person who is delivering the notice. It generally establishes a clear date for notice with minimal dispute around the evidence. On the other hand, the rule from employment law lacks that advantage, but comes closer to establishing certainty for both of the parties and treats them equally in terms of the importance placed on awareness of the notice. In other words, both sides must have had the opportunity to read the notice before the clock starts ticking. Taking all of this into account, it is easy to see why the justices were split on this decision. If you favour evidential certainty, you will probably lean towards the arguments put forward by the NHS Trust. Whereas if you favour a broader certainty across the parties, you will probably lean towards the argument of Hayward. For me, I think it is the context of the case itself that makes the difference here. By its nature, the employment contract puts the employee in a much more vulnerable position, as they are often reliant on their income and have to make arrangements for, say, a new job within that notice period. With that in mind, it is important that the employee is given clear and unequivocal notice from the employer in accordance with the contract. And where the contract is not clear on this point, the term that is implied should begin with that presumption of clear unequivocal notice, rather than be designed in such a way so as to assist the employer for an omission that is a failure on their part. This is also an approach that deals with an important question about the sort of precedent that is being set by the Supreme Court. If the NHS Trust had simply put an express term in the contract of employment that sets out how notice is to be dealt with, then this would have been an open and shut case. It is only because the courts were forced to imply a term that this even became an issue. Employers ought to take note of this case as a warning. If they fail to provide for something explicitly within a contract, then they should not then expect judges to step in on their behalf and offer sympathy. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provides the theme music. If you do get a chance to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, that would be awesome. In the meantime, you can sign up for my newsletter at uklawweekly.com, or check me out on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver. I'll be back with another episode next week. In the meantime, bye!